Welcome to the Vox Church Podcast. We're so excited that you're taking some time today to listen to today's message. If something from today's message specifically touches your heart, text Vox Church, all one word, to 97000, and one of our leaders would love to connect with you. Also, make sure you visit voxchurch.org for more information about our church and upcoming service locations and times. God bless you. Welcome to church. Hey, welcome to Vox Church Brantford. We're so excited that you're here. This is wild, so fun, so exciting. You know, we just didn't know how things would happen, and uh, it's just been great. We were so excited for our 9 o'clock service, and then uh, we, I just preached the 1015 in New Haven, which was jamming. It was just awesome to see. And then we get to hang out together here and see all that God is doing. And so just an awesome opportunity today. You know, Vox Church started with one community, nine people, a little dream. And today we were streaming in Stamford, Hartford, Bridgeport, Springfield, North Haven, Middletown, Worcester. And then, of course, online all across the country and across the world. It's been so encouraging to see what's happening with our church online. People tuning in weekly from Connecticut, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, New York, Florida, North Carolina, Canada, the Philippines, Ghana, Sweden, India, and on and on. Isn't that awesome? Praise God. Such a cool thing. It's the way God works. But um, listen, uh, don't miss the Christmas. I know Ryan already talked about it, but the Christmas services this coming week are really going to be a blast. A great opportunity to bring a friend, a family member. Uh, Saturday and Sunday evenings here are going to be great. We'll have our Sunday morning services as normal, but uh, but Saturday and Sunday evenings are going to be just a really special, special service. But today's a special day for so many reasons. Obviously, we're opening this facility, just the faithfulness of God. And, and the timing of all this is not lost on me. You know, we've been in a two-year generosity journey that culminates and ends today. And it ends with a CO and the opportunity to be able to gather at our Brantford location. And so it's just like, man, the timing of all of that is pretty, uh, pretty amazing. It was not, you know, our plan. Honestly, we were hoping to open in November and then it was going to be after Christmas and on and on. And so here we are today and it's just, just a great gift and uh, a gift from God. And so, um, you know, we'll end this service with our end of year offering. This is a tradition that we do every year here at Vox, but this one's special because of this two year generosity journey that we've been on and all that God's been teaching us. And so we'll conclude this service where each of us brings a sacrificial gift, a, a gift that we've trusted God with. I know that many of us have prepared that And uh, I want to acknowledge from the beginning of the sermon today that there are some of us here that you're scoping Vox out. Maybe this is your first time or your second time or your 10th time, but you're still kind of exploring this church and and sort of checking us out. And you might be thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute. I came on Vision Sunday. I came on the end of your offering day. I don't want to hear about money. Well, this is actually a great day for you to come because you have zero expectation to give, okay? If you're a, a, a new person or you're scoping us out or this really isn't your church family, but it's something that you're just just exploring, feel 100% relieved, okay? So just, and it's actually a really good day to come to church because it's a day where you get to hear about the vision of Ox and explore this church a little bit more. But let me just put you at ease. Um, you don't have any expectation to give. Today is really a day for those that call Vox Church home that have built a trust relationship with this church. I know that that takes some time. It really does uh, to be able to give. And so um, it's an important day for us, a day that we step out in faith. But I do want to just acknowledge all those that are visiting. Thank you for being here, but, uh, but be at ease, okay? Matthew chapter 16 is where we're we're going to go today. Matthew chapter 16. I love this passage of scripture starting in verse 13. It says this, now when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? Now, if you're new to the Bible, the son of man is a term that the prophet Daniel used to describe the coming savior. Jesus uh, took it as a title for himself. And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah and others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Look at this. Jesus answered, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who's in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Verse 21, in that time... Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed 
And on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And then Jesus told his disciples, If you would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This is God's word. I want to talk to you today on the topic of the joyful sacrifice. The joyful sacrifice. Would you pray with me? Let's open our hearts to God. God, I thank you for the opportunity to gather as your church. Thank you for this Branford building for our first Sunday morning gatherings here. What an honor. What a privilege, Lord. I thank you that you're moving in our church. I pray that today would be a day that you would take us deeper. You'd reveal Jesus to us and that you'd work in a powerful way among us. In Jesus' name. Everybody said Amen. Amen. Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? Did you notice the text? Jesus asked, who do you say I am? It's one thing to know what other people say about Jesus, but it's another thing to have really settled in your own heart who Jesus is to you. So it's a good question to start with, especially on Vision Sunday, because the center of any Jesus-focused church is Jesus, right? And so our desire is to see him. That's vision. Vision Sunday is all about seeing Jesus. So who is Jesus to you? You know, uh, mom may have said he was this. Dad may have said he was that. You know, the news media may, may have said Jesus was this. Your college professor may have said Jesus is that. But who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? Who do you say that I am? That's the question that Jesus brought to his disciples. A good question for us today. Who is Jesus? You know, there's religious conviction and then there's personal revelation and there's a difference between the two. Religious conviction might have been, you know, uh, passed on from your grandparents or maybe something that you feel like is good for your kids. And so, you know, you have a religious conviction. But what about personal revelation? What about a genuine personal experience? There's uh, cultural spirituality on one side, right? That's, well, you know, we're Christian because that's what our parents and grandparents were, whatever. But then there's individual encounter, you know. Individual encounter is let me tell you what Jesus did for me. Let me tell you how he impacted my life, how he changed my life. Who is Jesus to you? Here's a good question. Have you been captivated by the person of Jesus? Has he really grabbed a hold of your heart personally? In that time, some people saw him as a prophet. Some people saw him as a teacher. Some people saw him as a helpful guy. But it was Peter who kind of cuts through the noise. And he says, no, 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 you're more than that. You're more than any of those things. He says, you're the Christ. You are the son of the living God. Now that's a pretty bold statement to make. He's saying you are the creator of the cosmos. Come down in human flesh, incarnate before us. You are the actual eternal God who is now living in our midst. You're the son of God. And Jesus, upon this revelation, pulls back the curtain of history. And he says, blessed are you, Simon. He says, flesh and blood didn't tell you this. My Father in heaven revealed it to you. And then he says, let me tell you about my plan to reconcile the world to God. And for the first time in scripture, he identifies the church. Now the church, that word simply means the assembly, okay? And church has had various different, uh, you know, connotations throughout history. I don't know what comes into your mind when you think about the church but the church, we often misunderstand as a building, you know, like this is the church. Hey, nice church. You got good speakers and nice seats. No, no, no. This is a church building, but it's not the church. The church is not a building. Or sometimes we think about programs and we say, well, the church is all these programs that they run. No, no, no. That's not the church either. The building and the programs, the institution, that's not church. Let me tell you, Jesus says, about my church. Do you know what church is? Church is a people. Church is a people who have been individually and collectively transformed by the good news of God's grace. They're a people who have internalized the revelation that Jesus is the Son of God, that he's not just a nice guy or a helpful sage. He's not just a teacher of truths. He is, in fact, the Savior of the world, that Jesus came to live as a representative for me before God. He came to die as a substitutionary sacrifice for my sin, and then he 
rose from the dead like no one else has so that his resurrection life could live in you right now. You could have peace with God, your sins completely forgiven forever, and an assurance in your heart that you will be with him when you die. That's the church, a people changed by grace. Come on, somebody. Come on, 1130. We got to teach you to be a little bit more excited about the church. And so this church is what he's describing here. And he tells us different things about the church. I don't know if you picked up on them in the text, but the first thing I noticed about the church is he changes Simon's name, right? He says, blessed are you, Simon. From now on, I'll call you Peter because I'm going to build the church on the rock of the revelation that I am the Christ. And I'm going to use that as an illustration to show you that you are now Peter, which means Petros, which is, which is small rock, but I'm going to build it on the bedrock of the revelation of Christ. And so he goes into this name-changing thing, but what he's doing there, amongst other things, is he's showing us that when you internalize the truth that Jesus is the Christ and then engage in the family and community of God, you discover your real name, discover who you really are, discover the identity that God has planned for you. And so church is a group of flawed and imperfect people. Come on, somebody say amen, right? That's true, because I'm here, so it's imperfect. You're here, because it's imperfect. That's, uh, that's true, but imperfect people, in the process of sanctification, that's the process of becoming more like Jesus, made blameless through the cross, who now have recentered their lives off of self and onto Jesus. That's the church. A people changed by grace, awakened by the Spirit, to be agents of reconciliation in the world. We have a new name. The new name that Christ gives us, a redeemed self, loved by God, accepted by Him, no longer vying for the attention of a broken world, but instead secure in the love of a God who died in my place. That's the church. That's the church. But there's more. He says that the gates of hell will not prevail, right? Or the gates of Hades or death, depending on the translation you have. In other words, it's God's purpose that the church actually pushes back death in the world. That's a wild idea. That it's your job as the church, the family of God, collectively, to push back all the decay and the brokenness that this world has. And we do it specifically through the keys that he gives us, right? He says, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. What are the keys of the kingdom of heaven? Well, the keys of the kingdom of heaven are, in fact, the message of the gospel. See, heaven's been locked because we've been separated from God because of sin, but the church is entrusted with the message of reconciliation, that Christ came to make all things new. And so as we share the message of reconciliation, we unlock the door of heaven for all those who will believe. He's entrusted those keys to us. And so the church is positioned by God on the earth to unlock the door of heaven and tear down the gates of hell by sharing the message of the gospel and then living that message out in the world. And if you and I don't do it, collectively as the people of God, then Jesus tells us it's not going to be done because he's given you and me, the church, his keys. And whatever we bind on earth will be bound. Whatever we loose on earth will be loosed. You're in a position of authority to invite people to heaven through the sharing of grace. Isn't that awesome? That's a powerful truth. Last week at Vox, we talked about the mission of the church and specifically the mission of Vox Church, right? We said that we really believe that God has given us a vision for the last 10 years to see New England changed from the least church region to the most spiritually vibrant place on earth. Now, you may or may not be aware that New England is, in fact, the least church region. Few people attend church, participate in uh, church, read the Bible than any other place in the United States. But it's our dream to see that change in one generation and to be a part of it, not just us, but all the churches across New England experiencing spiritual awakening and change. And so we want to play our part to see New England change from the least church region to the most spiritually vibrant place on earth. And so we outlined last week what we call our campus to campus strategy. If you were here last week, you heard about it. If not, um, then you can use this week to think that we're crazy. But the campus to campus strategy is simply this, that every Vox church starts a Vox church every four years. Okay, now we've done this now nine times in 10 years, and we've been working each time to strengthen our systems, fix our, you know, our problems, and be able to launch healthy, vibrant churches. Every Vox Church starts a Vox Church every four years, and so it's our goal by the end of 2025, because we started that process this year, 
to have 18 churches, to plant nine new churches across New England, okay? Nine new churches. And then by 2029, to be at 36, that would be every Vox church starting a Vox church every four years. By 2033, 72. By 2041, 288. And it would be our dream that in one generation, we would plant 400 churches across New England, reaching 1% of New England's population each week, okay? Now, you may hear that and go, well, that's an unrealistic dream. Well, it is. Just acknowledge that, okay? It is an unrealistic dream. It's only possible by a work of the Spirit. But we have to understand there's actually an urgency attached to this dream. Uh, in America today, 3,500 churches close every year and don't reopen. 3,500. And we looked at this last week, but starting new churches is far and away the most powerful way to reach new people. That if people are far from God, doing outreaches or doing this and that you know, holding crusades is not going to be the way to make sustainable impact in a community that every study of history over the last 2,000 years points back to the fact that starting a new church is the most effective way to reach new people. One study found that the average new congregation will bring in six to eight times more new people into the life of the body of Christ than an older congregation of the same size. One denomination did a study recently and found that 80% of people coming to faith in Jesus we're meeting Jesus in churches that were two years old or younger. But the church is not simply about adding numbers, and that's not what Vox is about. The church is about restoring souls. Somebody say amen. It's about seeing impact in hearts, families, communities, and lives. It's about pushing back the gates of death and becoming the hands of feet of Jesus in a community. And so at Vox, we do multiple things at the same time, right? This Sunday gathering is not the church. It's a part of the church. So we gather to worship, to study the Bible together in our Sunday services. That's exciting. We've had, I don't know how many, 10, 15, whatever Sunday services today all across our locations, right? But then we also meet in small groups called community groups and core groups to talk about our faith, build deeper friendships, go deeper. That's the church. So the church meets small. The church meets big. But then there's a third aspect of the church that some of us are not as aware of, and that is that we gather through our outreach teams to serve our communities in practical, tangible ways to be the gospel. And I want to outline that for you because I think that's an important piece of who the church is. Now at Vox, we have a particular strategy around our outreach, and some of us may not be aware of it, so let me just explain it for a moment or two, okay? Whenever we start a new location, we're doing this in Brantford today because we launched a church today. Here's Vox Church Brantford, so it begins, right? But for the last six months to a year, we've been studying the town of Brantford and the surrounding towns, asking a specific question. And the question is, what are the major needs within this community? And so we do this in New Haven, we do this in Hartford, we do this in Middletown, we do this in Springfield. Every one of our locations, our leaders, are wrestling with that question. What are the major needs of this community? Maybe it's homelessness. It's out of control. Or maybe it's food insecurity. There's people who can't put dinner on the table. What are the major needs of this community? We ask the leaders of the community. We ask other churches. We ask those that have been there for 10, 20, or 30 years. What are the major needs? And as we identify those needs, we simultaneously begin to identify organizations and ministries that are successfully meeting those needs. And so if it's homelessness, we want to find the most effective homeless agencies that are helping people connect to homes. If it's this, if it's that, we want to connect with those organizations. And then Vox starts a church, comes alongside those organizations, and we fuel those organizations with funding from our church and with volunteers from our church. And so we partner with other organizations so that they get the credit, but God gets the glory and the impact expands throughout the community. Now, we been doing this for years. This year, I asked our outreach teams just give, to give me a glimpse. We partnered with 67 local organizations across our cities, okay? And 32 local churches that are making a difference in the major needs of our communities. Here's our list of all the different partner organizations, both globally and locally, that we worked with this year. So with Hands on Hartford, or with Masters Mana in North Haven, or Springfield Boys and Girls Club, or the Columbus House in New Haven, or New Covenant Center. Now, this is a powerful strategy strategy because we give the funding and we give the volunteers, but we don't get the credit. Jesus gets the credit and the needs of the city are met. This is the vision of how outreach works 
at Vox Church. And it's crazy because we've been able to funnel hundreds of thousands of dollars and countless volunteer hours into our community because the church that pushes back the gates of hell needs to preach the good news like we are right now, needs to worship Jesus collectively in our gatherings, needs to meet one-on-one and begin to develop deeper relationships in our small groups, and then needs to be out in the community making a difference where the darkness is the deepest. And that's what God's doing through his church. So just a couple of highlights, pretty exciting. This past year, we were able, you were able to distribute $150,000 worth of foods and, and supplies over a three-day period through the local organiza- or th- to local organizations through Food for the Poor, which is a global organization. This year, you guys were able to give 800 pairs of shoes uh, to kids in Springfield, Massachusetts, who specifically were struggling to make ends meet before the beginning of this school year. This year, you were able, with the organization Love 146, to establish safe homes in the Philippines for people coming out of sex trafficking. This year, we just gave, as a community, we just gave $25,000 to Hopeline to provide medical supplies, prenatal testing, an ultrasound machine, and aftercare counseling for moms who choose to keep their babies. Come on, somebody. That is awesome. Thank you, Jesus, for pushing back death and inviting life. This is practical. And I don't share any of this to draw attention to us. Friends, I'm sharing this so that we can celebrate the grace of God together and then even more so so that we can catch a vision of what's possible when the church is on mission and is willing to give away the credit. There's some powerful things that can happen in a community. This year, uh, we saw the expansion of our Vox Online platform. Last year, we really launched Vox Online in the midst of COVID. But just in 2021, we were able to reach people all over the world. This year, we saw over 141,000 people uh, join us for our services throughout uh, our, our service times. We saw our sermon podcast downloaded over 195 thousand times by people all over the world and our goal like we've said all along is to see new england changed right from the least church region to the most spiritually vibrant place on earth but notice that that vision doesn't ever mention vox because the vision isn't vox the vision is the church so this year i'm really excited about a conference that will start in 2022 we've been preparing for called New England Together, where we'll gather pastors and leaders from across churches all over New England, share best practices, share resources, make all the systems that we use available, learn from each other, because the goal is to see the local church thrive. Amen? Amen. Come on. That's it. That's awesome. And so Jesus, he gives us this really compelling vision of the church. The gates of hell will not prevail. I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. And some of us, I know that, you know, we've had difficult, challenging issues with church, and and church is imperfect. We all know that. But he calls us to this compelling vision. And then he turns on a dime, it seems, in verse 21. Did you notice that? Look at it with me. He just told them all about the church. The gates of hell will not prevail. Wow, this is awesome. Then he says, from this time, Jesus began to show the disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter can't handle it. So here's this guy who... Two minutes ago was the champion of the church, the rock, right? Peter. Now, three sentences later, he pulls Jesus aside and starts rebuking him. And he says, Jesus, you're not going to do this. Let me tell you what you are going to do. You're going to be the big shot church leader. We're going to run this thing. It's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. You're not going to go and get killed. That's not going to happen. Let me tell you. Just so you know, when you start instructing Jesus... It rarely ever goes well, all right? So just as a good life lesson. But Jesus pulls him aside and says, I rebuke you, Satan. You're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. In other words, you have a fundamental misunderstanding of how the church works. And Jesus then contrasts the agenda of man with the agenda of God. Now, we have to understand that the agenda of man comes very naturally to all of us. Okay, the agenda of man is built on power, privilege and preference. 
okay, power. I want control. I want to be the one in control. I want, and you do this, I do this, we all do this. That's power, right? Privilege, I don't want to deal with difficult things. I want to be removed. And preference, I want to do what I want to do. I want to have choices. I want to have options. Power, privilege, preference. That's the kingdom of man. That's how we think naturally. I want to increase my power. I want to increase my privilege. I want to increase my preference. But Jesus introduced the upside down kingdom where those who are first need to be last, where those who will be great need to serve the most, where those who would go high need to be brought low. And so Jesus replaces power, privilege, and preference with surrender, service, and sacrifice. Not nearly as popular. Surrender, service, and sacrifice. And he says, get behind me, Satan. He says, it's not just uh, outside of God's plan to try to avoid sacrifice. For the follower of Christ who would advance his church to try to avoid sacrifice is in fact demonic. He says, get behind me, Satan. And then look what he says in verse 24. He says, if anyone would come after me, look at it, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. There's only one way to build his church. And that's the Jesus way. The Jesus way is the only way to build his church. It's what Paul meant in Galatians 2 when he said this. Look, he said, I have been crucified with Christ. The Lord's trying to speak to each of us today. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Teaching us something fundamental about the Jesus way. And that is that the church advances through the sacrifice of its people. The church advances through the sacrifice of its people. I know that's not a popular message because we like power, privilege, and preference, right? That's what we like. But the church advances through the sacrifice of its people. And that's the message of Jesus. And it wasn't a side issue for Jesus. It was actually the center of his entire strategy. See, I think we've missed the strategy of Jesus too often, just like Peter did. Peter thought Jesus was going to bulldoze down the gates of death, you know? That was the plan. Let's just knock him over. The gates of hell will not prevail. This is great. Let's go bulldoze the gates of death together. But Jesus was like, Pete, that's, that's, not, that's not the plan. We're not going to bulldoze the gates of death. I'm going to suffer, and then I'm going to die, and then I'm going to enter death, and then I'm going to unlock the gates of death from the inside. See, the strategy of Jesus is pretty counterintuitive. The strategy of Jesus doesn't make sense to the natural mind. The strategy of Jesus confounds the wise, but it hides within itself a secret of the kingdom. That when you make radical sacrifice, when you engage in radical sacrifice, God always follows up with supernatural resurrection. That there's a power that's released through sacrifice, a divine power. And Jesus understood that if his church could grasp the paradigm of sacrifice, if we could understand the, imp the, the, the uh, implications of sacrifice and the power released through sacrifice, then there's not a force on earth that could ever stop the church on mission who grasps sacrifice embraced it with Jesus, denied ourselves, took up our cross, followed him. There's no stopping a church that understands sacrifice like that. So the natural mind, we think, well, what's reasonable, right? We think what's realistic. We think, this is, let's be honest, this is what I think, this is what you think. What could I give that will ease and appease my conscience but not change my lifestyle? <laughs> what could I give that's, un that's uncomfortable in the natural a little bit but doesn't actually change my comforts long-term? But the mind changed by Christ thinks very differently. We don't use the measurements of what would sustain my comfort. Instead, we use the measurement of what did God do for me? And if God gave his one and only son, how do I now respond in light of a love like that? And that's why you got Mary breaking her alabaster jar of pure nard worth over a year's wages and washing Jesus' feet and the disciples going, she's wasting this. And Jesus going, no, 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 you don't understand. You don't understand anything that's given for me lives forever. And this woman may have sacrificed much financially here, but her story will be told 2,000 years later on a stage in Brantford, Connecticut, because whenever you give to Jesus sacrificially, it lives beyond you. And that's exactly what the disciples internalized, right? Because they all ended up giving their lives for the gospel. It's what the book of Acts describes when it says they sold their possessions and goods. See, the church has never in history advanced from success to success. It's always advanced from sacrifice to sacrifice. It's always been the way of Jesus. 
It's always been the method of the church. You take the early church, for example. Some don't know this, but historians have wondered for a long time, how is it that a small band of uneducated, unwealthy peasants became the most dominant religion on earth? Like, how did that happen? You know, you got 12 guys, 120 people in an upper room. That's what Jesus left as the church when he rose from the dead. 120 people in an upper room. That's not a very convincing worldwide movement. Historians tell us that in AD 40, there were about an estimated 1,000 committed Christians. Not that many. By AD 100, they estimate about 7,500 committed Christians, primarily poor, primarily uneducated, primarily lacking major influence in the community. That's in AD 100, okay? But by AD 165, a plague, we know about plagues, right? A plague had swept across the Roman Empire. And then by AD 251, a second plague hit. In the first plague, one out of every three people in the Roman Empire died. In the second plague, up to 5,000 people were dying a day in the city of Rome. And there are numerous historical accounts of the response of the Roman citizens during these plagues. The Romans would leave their wives, their children, their family members, and their best friends to die alone in order to protect themselves from the plague. People were fleeing the cities, leaving behind loved ones, abandoning those they loved the most to protect their own necks because they had no paradigm for sacrifice. They had no revelation of giving their lives for someone else. That was not their frame. That was not the way they saw the world. And so these Romans were just abandoning people. And in the midst of all this abandonment that was occurring across the Roman Empire, guess who stepped in but the uninfluential peasants known as Christians who began to serve the pagans who had been left behind and were dying of this illness. And one historical account says it like this. He says, most of our brother Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ. And with them departed this life, serenely happy, for they were infected by others with the disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. Many in nursing and curing others transferred their death to themselves. And so Christians would literally serve these pagans and die in service of them. But something started to happen as thousands of Christians began to serve thousands of pagans is their sacrifice became more contagious than the plague. And by 350 AD, history tells us that there were over 33 million Christians or more than half of the population of the Roman Empire because their sacrifice was a sweet aroma that drew thousands to Jesus. And I wonder, yeah. I wonder, you know, why is it that so often it seems in our time the church fails to make a significant impact. Is it possible that one of the biggest reasons is that we've forgot the way of Jesus? Advancing from sacrifice to sacrifice. So we become so comfortable, we become so self-isolated that we are in fact in danger of wasting our lives. Wasting our lives on another toy, on another vacation, on another comfort. And this is not to say that God does not want to bless you or that you're wrong for, you know, buying a coffee. No, 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 no. No, God wants to bless you. He wants to give you all good things to enjoy. He just wants your heart to love his mission more than your comforts. He gives us a warning in Luke chapter 12 about wasting our lives. And he told them this parable, a certain the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. Bigger barns, bigger barns, bigger barns. That's the American way. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Life, take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded of you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves and is not rich towards God. In other words, what good is a garage full of stuff if eternity is empty? Being rich towards God will always require sacrifice. But I think God's been teaching us 
through this wake of my heart two-year campaign, something really important that's found right in the text here. Something that I think we often miss when we hear about sacrifice. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Whoever would save his life would lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will. Anybody remember? Yeah, we'll find it. In other words, he's teaching us that God's intention through sacrifice is not to rob you of fulfillment, but to maximize fulfillment. That so many of us collect things but don't have life. And he says, if you want to have life, you've got to lose your life. You've got to sacrifice. That sacrifice will always end in supernatural resurrection. That God does not ask you to sacrifice to steal from you or to rob from you, to keep joy or fulfillment from you. Even though in the short term, giving something up will always feel that way. God teaches you to sacrifice because there's a deep eternal truth hidden in it. That it is actually more blessed to give than to receive. That the nature of God at its core is not one of a taker, but one of a giver. And when you practice giving like God does, when you practice sacrificial giving, you mirror his image and step into his pleasure and discover a joy and a life that far exceeds this natural world, a joy that the world can't give you and the world can't take away. And so when Jesus calls us to give all that we have, he says, and through it, you find life. You find life. You see that? Oh, it's true, friends. It's true. You know, when I was a kid, I used to look forward to Christmas because I got to open my presents. But friends, now I'm old, right? Don't agree. Thanks. Yeah, don't agree. You're like, no, you're not, Justin. Okay, I'll take it. No, you're not. Uh, no, now, I'm, now I got four kids. And truthfully, when I, when I get to Christmas Day, I could care less about the new pair of slippers. You know what I mean? Like, that's not what gets me excited. What gets me excited is to watch my little two-year-old girl wide-eyed, open up some little, my little pony thing and dance around with excitement. That's what gives me joy. That, it's so much more exciting than the slippers I got because I just don't care about those things. I, see, when you, when you mature, you realize that the joy's found. See, when you mature, your heart, your heart changes. This last week, or uh, last night, excuse me, last night I was... Um, I was just praying for you, just praying for us as a church as we go through this journey. And, and, uh, and as I was praying, just asking God to speak to us today, I feel like I had finished up and my family was watching a movie downstairs. And so I went downstairs and I just sat on the couch with them and they were watching Christmas with the Cranks. Anybody seen that? Christmas with the Cranks. It's a Tim Allen movie. It's an older movie. I, and I think I'd seen it one other time, but, but I wasn't too familiar with Christmas with the Cranks. But it's the story about this guy who wants to cancel Christmas so that he can go on a Caribbean vacation with his wife. I'm like, that's not a bad idea. But anyways, he, 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 he decides, you know, that's what I'm going to do. But last minute, his daughter uh, decides she's coming home for Christmas with her fiance. And so now he has to have Christmas. And so everything changes and everything else. He's all upset about it. And he's pretty cranky. Tim Allen, he's pretty cranky the whole time. But finally... At the end of the movie, he decides that he paid for this all-expenses-paid vacation to the Caribbean, and he has this neighbor that he's sort of been at war with, this older couple. I think the wife of the couple is sick with some illness. And, and so he decides at the end of the movie, he walks across the street to their house, and he gives them his vacation, his all-expenses-paid vacation, because he can't go on it because his daughter's home and everything else. So he gives them vacation, and the neighbor like can't even accept the gift. They're like, we're not taking this. Like You're my arch enemy. Why are you giving this to me? And he says, listen, it's just a gift. No strings attached. Receive it. And, and they do. And they're like, thank you. And then they run out in their yard, like, or they run back in their house, like, we got to pack. We're leaving tomorrow. This is incredible. And, and Tim Allen, he walks away from their house. And like there's this moment where he's standing in their yard. And his face tells the whole story. Giving that vacation was better for my heart than going on it myself. And I'm watching Christmas with the Cranks. And I'm crying like a baby. <laughs> And I was so embarrassed about it till I looked over and my wife was crying too. And I'm like, oh my goodness, it's crazy. Because there's something about grace, a gift you can't earn. 
It's something about sacrifice, giving for someone else that just speaks to the core of who we are. And friends, if you've been with us on this two-year generosity journey called Wake My Heart, the entire point of this journey was not to build this building. Thank God for this building. It was not to launch more churches. It was not to reach our goal. The entire point was to deepen our hearts, to change something in us that can only be learned by experience, that it really is more blessed to give than receive. And you know what's been the most exciting aspect of this whole journey? It's not been broadcasting today from our Brantford location. I'm grateful for that. I'm thankful for that. But the thing that's been most exciting to me is to watch that sacrificial heart spread because it's contagious and it's spreading all over our church. Let me just give you a couple examples. Here's one story about Joe. That's not his real name. I am going to protect his name for the sake of his own, uh, you know, privacy, but, but Joe uh, committed $12,500 the beginning of Wake My Heart two years ago. Two-year generosity campaign. Now, Joe's a younger man. He is single, and that was a big, big, big step of faith for Joe. $12,500 over two years he's going to give to the mission of Jesus through the local church, right? So far, as of today, not including the end of your offering, Joe has given $38,000, Okay, he committed twelve thousand five hundred. He's given thirty-eight thousand. Totally true. That's not his real name, though, but it's totally true. And and this required a crazy change in his lifestyle. He postponed buying a house. He postponed buying a car. And you might hear that and be like, "Why would anyone do that, friend?" He did that because he was captivated by Jesus, by the mission of Jesus through the church. I can tell you about Bill and Sarah. Again, not their real names. Uh, Bill and Sarah. True story, though. They made a commitment to wake my heart. A generous, crazy faith step commitment two years ago in generosity. And then right after that, uh, Bill got offered a job in another part of the country, and it was a great job, awesome benefits, exactly what they were hoping for. They prayed about it, and they decided that no matter what, they were going to fulfill their commitment, even if they moved. But the more they prayed, the more they sensed God calling them to stay, keep committed to the local church, fulfill their commitment, and now they have stayed the entire two years. They've exceeded their commitment, and they feel that God's called them to be a part of sowing into this community. Just this past week, there was a family that's joined the church about a year ago, and they never made a Wake My Heart commitment because they weren't a part of the two-year process from 2019. And they came to the church office this past week and handed one of our pastors a check for $100,000. And they said, God's not called us, you know, uh, we didn't join the Wake My Heart commitment, but we want to jump in because we feel like God's spoken to our hearts about it. Another family made a $100,000 commitment, but they just told us this past week that they're going to go to 125 because the Holy Spirit blessed them so much that they wanted to be a blessing. What in the world is happening around here? This one really got me. This is Grace. Grace is 12 years old. Grace is 12, and she sent us this note. She said, through this journey called Wake My Heart, God has taught me, Grace, who is 12, that is her real name, that no matter how much I give, even just $1.50 from my $15 allowance each month, I am contributing and God cares because I'm doing it out of my love and hope for his church. I look forward to seeing it thrive and grow. Come on, Grace. I asked Kyle if we could share a, a story about his two kids. They're both under the age of 12, and Kyle said it was okay to share this. He said, I wanted to update our family totals for our commitment, and I want to increase our family commitment by $20. It is from our two oldest kids. They're contributing some of their money as well, and I wanted to include it in our total. I know it won't move the needle much as a percentage of the total pledged, but I thought it was important to pass it along as they really want to be a part of this. We were talking about it with them last night, and they have been listening to Justin these past few weeks, and they both wanted to contribute and be a part. It is so amazing to watch them learn and grow and want to come alongside and participate in what God is doing. It is such an encouragement for me to watch, and so I wanted to share it with you as a part of how God is working to impact so so many people, even those under the age of 12. That's awesome. I love that. You know, what is happening around here? What's happening around here is something a little bit like the book of Acts. That's what's happening around here. And um, I want to share a couple other stats with you. I challenged our staff to give financially in a generous way. That's Chrissy and I, that's Mike, that's Ryan, all the leaders here. I asked them, along with us to sacrificially give because we weren't going to ask our church to do something we weren't doing. And so I asked our finance team if they could give me the totals coming into this Vision Sunday, our end of year offering, 
of what our staff has given. Now, most of our staff left higher paying jobs to join our staff at Vox, okay? Working for a church is not the way to make a huge living. And so many of them actually left higher paying jobs to participate in uh, staff at our church. And so, so far our staff, are you ready for this? So far our staff, before the end of your offering, has given in these last two years to wake my heart, $1,248,560. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> I mean, it's contagious. I asked our elders and our WLC, our Women's Leadership Council, who are our top leaders across our campus to do the same thing. It's a much smaller group. They've given $1,057,587. Something is happening in our church and it's contagious. And it's the revelation that it really is more blessed to give than to receive. It's the revelation that the local church really can make a difference in the world and that it's worth sacrificing for. And so today is our final sermon on this Wake My Heart journey. I know it's been two long years. Some of you are like, I wish you would have stopped talking about that a long time ago. And, and I, I understand there's moments where I wished I could have stopped talking about it a long time ago. And I do want to reiterate to our visitors that this offering is really not for you. Okay, so really, seriously. I understand it takes time to build trust with the church. I get that. And so that's, we respect that, we honor that. In fact, I would say this to all of our visitors. If you never give a single dollar to Vox Church, this community will support you and serve you in every way that we possibly can for as long as you allow us, okay? Seriously, no, seriously. That's it, period. And, and that's not like a philosophy or an idea that we came up with. We've been doing that for 10 years. We've been doing that for 10 years. And there have been thousands of people who have never given a dollar and we have, we have poured our lives out for you and we'll continue to. But for those that call this church home, this is an opportunity to, to really finish strong. So let me give you a glimpse of where we're at. December 2019, our church made a commitment, collective commitment, of $19,593,555 for the work of Jesus over two years. At the halfway point, we had more people join and add $89,000 in commitment. As of today, our church has given uh, $16,401,076, which means we have $3.2 million dollars remaining. Now, I met with our finance team and I said, okay guys, we've never received a $3.2 million end of year offering ever, ever, ever. Like that's 3 million more than we, or one and a half million more, 2 million more than we've ever received before. And so um, I, I met with a few families and I asked a number of our leading families, primarily our staff again, I asked, uh, what is your end of year offering going to be? I want to total them up so I can encourage the rest of the church. So we had all in total the last three months, I've met with 115 families who got back to us uh, and said that just that small group, there's thousands of people at Vox, that small group um, committed $700,000 to this end of year offering, which means that right now, as we head into this end of year, to reach our goal of 19.6, it means that we're about $2.5 million short. And $2.5 million is still a pretty significant amount of money. And so um, it's going to take some major sacrifice from a number of people. And so uh, I started asking myself, well, is this impossible? You know, is this number impossible? And, you know, everything about Vox Church is impossible, it seems like. Like, it's impossible for a church to rapidly grow in New England, okay? It's impossible to build a building in nine months, okay? It's, a lot of things are impossible. And yet God's been faithful to do it again and again and again. And so I started trying to break it down. Whenever I meet with our finance team, they tell me, I love these guys, they tell me how unrealistic my expectations are. And then I tell them, I try to find some way to make it feel possible. And so one of the ways I looked at this one, I was like, well, guys, think about it like this. If, if, if 500 people in our church give $5,000, that's $2.5 million. Wow. Okay. If 250 people gave $10,000, that's, that's $2.5 million. Okay. So it's not that impossible. And sacrifice is going to look different for each of us. The amounts will look different. But I think one thing I'm convinced of is that if everyone that calls Vox Church home decides to make a sacrifice in proportion with what that means for you, I think two things will happen. Number one, I think that God will make a way and will reach our goal. Number two, I think that God will answer our prayer that we've been praying consistently for the last two years, which is God, wake my heart for what breaks your heart. That's been the whole point of this thing. God, wake my heart for what breaks your heart. So you'll notice there's an envelope um, either on your seat or near your seat. You can take a moment and just uh, locate that if you'd like. Again, this is for those who want to participate. Um, 
and I, wanna, I just want to issue a specific challenge to all those who feel called to participate, and that is not to give a certain amount. That's not the challenge. The challenge is to give a sacrificial offering. And here's how I would determine that. Does this gift make me adjust anything in my life? And that amount is different. For some of us, that's $100. For some of us, it's 100000 Does this gift make me adjust anything in my life? And if I don't have to adjust anything in my life to give this gift, that's charity, but it's not sacrifice. Right? And so as you reflect and think and participate, does this gift require me to adjust anything in my life? You know, for Chrissy and I, just candidly, to fulfill our commitment, we had to adjust so many things. We had to move all kinds of things around. Change this, change that, adjust that, adjust that. By God's grace, we, we fulfilled and then we exceeded. And then we wanted to lead the way again. And so we made a gift that was sacrificial beyond our commitment for this end of your offering. So just to walk you through how you can participate if you so choose, the envelope is a, a pretty basic way. You can keep that three ways to give up on the slides. But um, the first way is just through this envelope. You can give via card, cash, check, whatever you want to do. Um, if you need a pen or if you need an envelope, there's some guys on the servant team that are ready to help you. Just stick up your hand. You should have one in your seat or sometimes in, in Brantford, uh, they're actually like under your seat in a little thing. Uh, there's some there. But if you do need one, stick up your hand and somebody will get you one. Envelope's one way you can give. Uh, the second is the website. Of course, a lot of us give online. That's fine. Top right corner, there's a little button that says give. Just click it. Anybody joining online, they can give online as well. And then, of course, texting. You can text to give, which I don't even understand, but they tell me that you can do that. So um, if that's your preferred way, that's fine too. But I want to take a moment and I want to invite you to pray. And this is your opportunity just to fill that out or jump on your phone and do it that way or whatever, whatever you want to do. This is your way to, to participate in this. And I want to invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us. I am so humbled and honored to be a part of a community that has lived sacrificial generosity for the last two years. And this is our chance to finish strong, right? It's our chance to finish strong. For some of us, that means going beyond what we committed. For some of us, it means getting involved for the first time. But it's our chance to finish strong, and I, I invite you to do that. So, Spirit of Jesus, we invite you to come. We meditate upon this truth that we see in the scriptures that your strategy for advancing the gospel is through the sacrifice of your people. And so we know that in our time, it's no different. And so if we're going to plant churches and reach people and do outreach, we're going to do it through the sacrifice of many. And Lord, we know that that looks so different for each person, but I pray that you do speak to us individually today, that you would prompt us and guide us and give us discernment. I pray that you bless those visiting, um, that they would catch our hearts, that we're not an organization that's trying to collect money. That's not our heart at all. But we're a people who love you and who live this ourselves. But I pray for our family, those that we've built trust with and those that have been a part of this journey with us this whole time. I pray that today you would guide us to a point where we really um, take that gut check seriously. And we make a, a gift today that causes us to adjust our lives a little bit, maybe even a lot. Holy Spirit, everything we give, we pray that you would be honored by. And we pray that our gift would please you. And um, that it would make a great difference in the world. So we glorify you, Jesus, today. Amen. Thank you for listening today to this Vox Church sermon. If something from today's message spoke to you and you've just made the decision to follow Jesus, text Vox Church, all one word, to 97000, and one of our leaders will help you as you begin your journey with Christ. God bless you.